Go ahead and take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 4. I want you to actually go to two places. Go to Matthew chapter 4 and go to Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at the same story in two different places. And there's some uh, important lesson I want us to learn from here today. I really want to, I want to challenge you a little bit this morning. But in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you uh, read before that, it tells the story of the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. And then Jesus, He goes up into the mountain, he, or out in the wilderness, and He's tempted of the devil for 40 days. And then uh, after this, in Matthew's account, the next story goes to where Jesus starts uh, recruiting His disciples. He went and He got those 12 disciples that followed him everywhere. And these men ended up becoming the apostles with the exception of Judas Iscariot that started the church. That uh, evangel- These men evangelized the world. And uh, we're here today because of the work that these men did. And Jesus begins recruiting them here. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw uh, other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, since I was a little kid reading the story, I remember, you know, memorizing that verse, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I remember singing the song, you know, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. And when you read the story and the picture I've always had in my mind is here comes Jesus walking along one day. He's never seen these disciples before. The disciples have never seen him before. And he walks up to these men and he sees them out fishing, doing their job, doing what they did. And he just says, follow me. And there, they just leave everything and follow him. And I would see, think, man, what faith those guys must have had, you know. And I, I think that's that's crazy how they just did that, you know. I mean, just they didn't ask any questions. And, but the truth is, if we read Luke chapter five, we see there's actually more to this story. There actually was a little bit of history here. It wasn't just Jesus. You know, it wasn't just what we see here. There was there was more to it. And I say all that because, you know, a lot of times when we talk about, you know, following Christ, you know, become a fisher of man, you know, have faith. People act like sometimes God wants them to do things that are impossible. They're asking, you know, God is asking them to do things that there is no way they could do. And they'll see a story like that in the Bible where, you know, God just tells these men, follow me, and they just follow him, no questions asked, nothing whatsoever, and think, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. But the truth is, that's not even really what they did. And God does, isn't expecting you to do, you know, outrageous, impossible things. You know, God, all, if God asks you to do something, he's going to give you the ability to do it. Okay, and I, listen, I'm not trying to take anything away from the disciples. They definitely showed some sacrifice here. They definitely had some faith. But let's read Luke chapter 5. And verse, we'll start reading in verse 1, and we see this same event, but we see more details here. And it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Uh, or no, I'm in Matthew still. I'm like, that's not the right story. Luke chapter 5. Sorry about that. Luke chapter 5. It says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, 
and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drop. And Simon said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which, uh, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was yet astonished in all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were part partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So understand now that when Jesus said, follow me, they had witnessed a miracle uh, that Jesus had done. Jesus had performed this miracle. Jesus had already, they had heard him preach. Jesus had preached to a bunch of people. He kind of used their ship for a platform, I guess. He had them, you know, take the ship out a little ways. And then it's almost like Jesus is kind of paying for the rental of the ship. And he's like, you know what, guys, go ahead and cast your nets out one more time. And sure, and sure enough, they did. And I mean, filled up both ships. A great miracle that was done here that only, that only Jesus could do, of course. So we see here that, you know, they had seen a miracle of Jesus. They had heard Jesus preach and they obviously believed his words. They had seen the miracle that he had done and they ended up following Jesus Christ. And the truth is, there are no excuses for being for not being a follower of Christ. All of us should be followers of Christ. All of us should be fishers of men. And yet people sometimes, when you start talking to them about, you know, not, not getting saved, okay? I'm not talking about getting saved. I'm talking about being a follower of Christ, about being a disciple, about being a fisher of men. If you start, when you start talking about that, people get real nervous. Well, I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm right for that job. I don't know if that is for me. And listen, God had isn't going to ask necessarily you to do the same thing that he's asked me to do. God's not going to call everyone in here to be a pastor, but God is going to call all of you to follow him. He wants you to follow him. That is God's desire for all of us. And every one of us ought to have the attitude, Lord, wherever you call me, I will go. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. I will follow you wherever you lead me. Lord, I'm going to come to this church. I'm going to listen to the preaching. I'm going to read my Bible. And whatever your Holy Spirit you know, you know, convicts me to do, I'm going to do it. Whatever you teach me from your Word, I'm going to do it. Whatever it is, that should be the attitude of everyone in here. God's not going to call everybody to be a missionary to Africa. God's not going to call everyone to start a church. But God is does want everyone to follow Him. And He wants to lead you in your life. And He wants to show you His will. He wants to show Himself strong in your life. And many people miss out on wonderful blessings. They miss out on some of the greatest things because they, they don't want to follow Christ. They have too many excuses. And they, they act like Jesus... You know, is asking too much. They act like, you know, 
there's not enough evidence. I need more to prove that this is what God wants me to do. But the truth is, I believe Jesus, get, you know, he, he took care of any excuses these disciples had. We're going to look at some things. The truth is, we're going to see with Peter, he actually had had a previous encounter with Jesus Christ before this event took place. And the truth is, Jesus didn't leave them. They, they had no excuses. And you know what? The title of my message today is, There's No, excuse, no Excuses. We have no excuses for not following Christ. We might think we do, but you have no excuses. I'm going to show you some things that you could say would be great excuses for these men not to follow Christ, but we're going to see how Jesus took away all those excuses. All the excuses that we would normally use, that these disciples we would say maybe could have used, Jesus took them away with the things that He had done for them. And so many people, the reason a lot of people don't want to be a follower of Christ, they think they can't be a follower of Christ, is they can't get over things from their past. You know, a lot of people think, I can't follow Christ. I I can't follow God. I'm not going to do the will of God because I'm not happy with things that God has done in my past. You know, you say God's in control, but why did God allow me to go through this in my past? Why did God allow this to happen to me? And people can sometimes blame God for things from their past. Now, I'm going to show you something here in the Scriptures, and you might think, You're taking this out of context a little bit. And I might be on this particular scripture, but I think it makes a great point that you're definitely going to remember. Because people use, they use that as an excuse all the time. But go back to Luke chapter 4, verse 38. This is before the miracle that Jesus did. This is before Jesus is called the disciples. And one of those disciples was Simon Peter. One of the first disciples that Jesus called was Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter definitely... He had something that many of us would probably use and say, you know, what? I'm not going to follow. I'm not following Christ. Look at what you did in my past. Many people do that. They point the finger at God. Lord, you allowed this to happen to me in my past. And let's see an encounter that Simon had, Simon Peter had with Jesus before this. In Luke chapter 4, in verse 38, it says, And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. You all see what just happened right here? Peter, he could have been mad at Jesus because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Now think about that. You know, here they've had his mother-in-law there all these years. And here she is. She's got a fever. She's about to go. And he's thinking, finally, freedom. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus comes along and he heals her. Now, a lot of people, you know, say, well, I'm, I'm sure Peter's wife was happy. But boy, poor, think about poor Simon. You know, I heard a story one time. I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a great story. And there was a man who... Him and his wife and his mother-in-law, they had taken a trip to Israel. While they were visiting some of the sites in Jerusalem, the man's mother-in-law ended up dying of a heart attack. The coroner talked to the couple and told them for them to ship the body back to the U.S. would cost $5,000. But if they had her buried there in Jerusalem, it would only cost $500. The son-in-law immediately spoke up and said, money is no object here. We'll pay the $5,000. Later, the coroner, speaking privately to the husband, said, He was impressed by the love and the willingness to spend all that money on his mother-in-law. He told him, you must have had a great relationship. And the son-in-law replied, no, I actually hated her. The coroner then said to him, then why were you so willing to spend so much money on your mother-in-law? 
He then replied, you know, while we were visiting here in Jerusalem, I heard about someone who died and was buried and rose again three days later here once. And I wasn't taking any chances. (laughs) So you all see here where Peter, you know, he had some history. He could have gotten mad at God and blame and say, you know, I'm not I'm not following you. I don't like what you did in my past unless I know I'm having fun with that passage right there. But you know what? Do people not do that? They'll look back at things in their past and say, you know, I don't know if I can trust God to lead me where I want to go. I don't know if for sure that I can trust God to lead me to happiness and fulfillment because of something in my past. And we blame God for it. And that is that's not appropriate. That's not what we should do. Many people feel like they've been untreated unfairly in life, which is basically blaming God. When people say, you know, my life isn't fair. This isn't fair. They're basically blaming God. But in Philippians chapter three, verse 13, Paul said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul had a terrible past, a horrible past, a man who killed Christians, a man who persecuted the church. I, mean, I, I imagine there was probably nights where he, I would think he'd have nightmares thinking about the screams of the, of the children, maybe of whose parents that he had killed and thinking about those times when he led people away to prison while he persecuted the church. But you know what? God had forgiven him of that. He is now saved and he said, you know, I'm forgetting those things that are behind. I'm pressing toward the mark. He was focused on what was ahead and he was willing to do whatever the Lord led him to do. Paul was a follower of Christ like none that we've ever seen before. And many people do. They feel like they've been treated unfairly. This should not have happened to me in my past. And I don't know if I can trust God. I don't, you know, I don't, they, I don't feel like I'm obligated to trust God because look at what I've been through in my life. And you're basically saying that's God's fault. But you know what? Maybe God allows you to go through those things to prepare you for something better. Maybe the Lord knew you were going to need some strength one day because He was going to ask you to do some things that weren't going to be easy. Now, we don't know. We can't, we can't possibly understand all that. We, and we probably will never understand it all until we're in heaven. But you understand, following Christ... It's it it will be the best thing you'll ever do. It will make you happier than anything else that this world has to offer. But you got to be willing to have some faith and do it. And you can do you can try to look at things in the past. But you know what? You got to forget those things that are behind and you got to look ahead, look things in the future. Notice what Peter said in Luke chapter five and verse eight. After Jesus has done this miracle for him, Jesus falls or Peter falls down at the feet of Jesus, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I find this so interesting how he said that, because truth is, it's very evident if you read through the Gospels that Peter was not a great guy. Peter did have a lot of issues. In fact, all of Jesus' disciples had a lot of pretty serious issues. I mean, we see that they all struggled with faith, every one of them. James and John, Jesus called them the sons of thunder because they had such a temper. We see that, uh, you know, uh, Thomas was a doubter. Peter, you know, he had that big mouth that was always getting him in trouble. All of them would argue about who was the greatest, which was a pride problem. 
All of them had these problems. When Jesus went to the cross, they all forsook him. And then finally, only John had the courage to at least sneak up to the cross. And he was the only one even there at the crucifixion. When Jesus rose again three days later, like he said he was going to do, none of the disciples were expecting it. And when the women came and told them that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead, most of them didn't even really believe it. I mean, these guys had some serious problems. You and I, if we could see the disciples the way they were when Jesus called them to be disciples, if they in that point in their life would came would come into our church, a lot of us would probably be like, eh, I don't know if these guys are a good fit for our church. I don't know if these guys are what we're looking for. You know, we get that elitist mindset sometime like we're just some, you know, better than everybody club that we can only accept the best. But the truth is, what was it that made these disciples great? Because these disciples, they did. They became some of the greatest men that ever walked the face of the earth. But what made them great? It was obviously Jesus Christ. It's very clear that their greatness had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with Jesus Christ. And see, notice Peter. He, there's no, it's no wonder why Jesus was able to use him. Look at what he did. He, just, he immediately... Depart from me. I am a sinful man. It became clear to Peter that he is standing before the Messiah and he does not feel worthy. And isn't that the place that we all need to be if we're going to be saved? We've got to realize that we're sinners. We've got a lot of religious people sitting in churches today that can't figure out that they're sinners. They can't, they can't figure out this just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They think it's all about works. They think it's about being good. They think they're going to heaven because they're something special. Because of something that they have accomplished. And the, many people sitting in churches today, they've never been like Peter. They've never fell down at the feet of Jesus saying, I'm, a, I'm sinful. And Peter, he hasn't heard the gospel yet. And what is he saying? He's just saying, depart from me. Lord, not because, Jesus, I can't stand being around you, but you must not be able to stand being around me. Because I am a sinful man. Peter didn't realize that though Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, that he came to save sinners. He was about to learn all that and he did learn that. But many people, they use the excuse, I'm too sinful for God to use me. I'm too sinful to be a follower of Christ. The Lord, can't, he'll never be able to use me in the church. I could never be a preacher. I could never be a Sunday school teacher. I could never be a soul winner. I can't, I could never do those things. I can't follow Christ. I'm too sinful I've got too much baggage in my past and we can sometimes let the guilt of the past stop us from doing what God wants. But truth is, it is no excuse. First Timothy 1.12, Paul speaking again, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now, me, if I would have been a part of that early church and Paul comes along, I'd have been like, yeah, this guy, he was a Pharisee. This guy was one who persecuted the church. We see that many of the disciples at first were scared to take in Paul when they heard he got saved. They were afraid of him. They're thinking this is just a trick. He's trying to trick us. He's wanting to catch us. But thank God there was Barnabas who came along and he told him, hey, no, this Paul saved. He's for real. This is legit. And then they ended up, they ended up accepting Paul. He had a terrible past, but God counted him faithfully, put him in the ministry. He says, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor? And injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly 
and unbelief and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. We all know this verse that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You all see that there. Paul had a terrible past, but he's like, folks, this is what it was all about. This is why Jesus came to the earth. This man that I am following, the one that I'm encouraging all of you to follow, he came for the sole purpose of saving sinners. And you know what? He got the chief of them when he saved me. And you might think, the Lord can't use me. I'm too sinful. But you are who he came for. Did you know that Jesus didn't come for the righteous, the religious? Jesus came. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the truth is, all have sinned, haven't they? But there's a lot of people that they don't see themselves as sinners. They see themselves as righteous. I, I, I've seen the people before that have come into this church. They come walking in here thinking, it's like they have this attitude of impressed me. Can you impress me? Will you be the lucky church that gets me? I'm looking for a church right now. You know, I, I, I had the guy one time, preacher, I'm just going to tell you, I'm a tither. Good for you. You know, and, and he did. I, he talked for a long time about how great he was and did and just kind of showed up with this attitude of, you know, will this be the lucky church that gets me? And you know what? You might think this is terrible, but I didn't make much of an effort to get him. I, I never went and visited them. Uh, it, it just there was such a horrible spirit and a, such a better than you attitude. And I'm just thinking, you know what? I'm not wasting my time with that. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that are like that. They do. They've got this attitude. Boy, oh boy, you know, do I want to follow the Lord? He'd sure be lucky to get me. I mean, boy, this church would sure be blessed if I got involved, you know, with all my skills, with all my abilities. God doesn't use people like that. Man uses people like that. Man likes those with all the skills and the talent and the abilities and the wisdom and all those things. We all go nuts over that kind of thing. But you know, God doesn't care about that. God uses the foolish things. God uses the things that are base, the things that are despised. Those are the things that God uses. And I'm telling you, I, I'm not impressed with those people. And you might think you're a terrible pastor. You should reach out to everybody. Jesus didn't even come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. I'd rather... I'd rather go after those people. I would rather work with those people than some Pharisee. I don't, I just, I don't have, if Jesus couldn't get them, I can't get them either. And so they can go, they can go to, you know, I won't name any churches or anything like that, but they can go to those churches. Y'all know, y'all been there before. But it's clear that all of Jesus' stuff, they did, they had major issues. Peter, he did, he realized, you know, man, Jesus, I am not worthy to be in your presence depart from me that should be our attitude that should be how we feel when it because of our sin and when we do come to that place that's when god can finally do something with us and god did use peter in a great way with all his issues god used him and so there you know your sinful past that's no excuse for you not to follow christ peter wasn't able to use that as an excuse jesus didn't stand and say oh man i'm, I'm sorry peter you know you look like a pretty good guy there on the boat but, you know, I, I didn't realize you had all this junk in your past. I guess I can't use you anymore. No, what did he do? He told me, you know, you're going to catch men from now on. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Many people would say, well, you know what? I'm just too busy for God to use me. 
But look at, look at what it says in, in Luke chapter 5, in verse 4. Actually, you know, look at, uh, at um, if you remember, in Matthew chapter 4, it mentions James and John, how they were mending their nets. Okay? And it's interesting too, because when Jesus called them to follow Him, it says they're mending their nets. Why are they mending their nets? Well, we know from Luke chapter 5, because their nets had broken from all the fish that they had caught, right? So keep all that in mind, okay? We're seeing here, these guys, they didn't have any excuses here. They're thinking, I'm too busy. These guys had responsibilities. They were fishers. James and John, it says in Ma- uh, here in, I don't remember if it was Luke or uh, Matthew, it says that they were with their father. They're in a business with their father, okay? They've got responsibilities and in Luke 5, verse 4, it says, When he had left speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering, said to him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. They had been working all night long. These guys, no doubt, were very tired. And of course, and they're already tired. Then they catch this multitude of fish that really had to wear them out. I mean, these guys are tired. They've been busy. They've been doing their job. And then that's when Jesus says to follow me. And they immediately, they follow Jesus. But the truth is, nothing's more important than the will of God. We get so busy doing things that we just we forget about the will of God. There's nothing more important. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? The things like what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall put on. The Bible says those are the things that the Gentiles seek after. The Gentiles are the lost. They worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. They worry about the cares of this life. They're all worried about their retirement package and all these things like that. But Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. When you make God's will first, when you make following Christ first, He will make everything else fall in place. When you make His will first in your life, He will take care of all your needs. I am convinced. Alright, I, I said in Sunday school that even if I quit church tomorrow and I made it my life's focus making money, I probably would never be a millionaire. I, I just don't have the skills, the ability. But you know what? I, I am convinced. I believe that I will be the richest I will ever be doing what I'm doing right now. I don't, I don't think if I did something else, I would be more successful and make more money. I don't. You, you know how fast money can go? I mean, one car wreck, you know, one, one accident, one injury, one lawsuit can just ruin somebody. And so, honestly, there's too many things out there that can take away everything I could ever work for. So, you know, I'd rather just stay in the will of God. That way He can take care of me. And I do. I don't, I believe, I don't believe if I'd have taken another path, I would live in a bigger, nicer house, drive nicer cars. I don't believe that. I really believe I'm the best off that I could ever be doing what I'm doing right now. You might say, well, that's not good enough for me. I'm going, you're not going to do any better either than being in the will of God. Nobody's going to do any better than being in the will of God. And people think, you know, I've got these, you know, I've got these things to do. You know, I'm too busy. Nothing is more important than the will of God. And you just need to determine in your life that, you know, whatever the Lord asks me to, I'm going to do it. If the Lord wants me to get more involved in church, I'm going to get more involved. I'm going to figure out how to clear my schedule. 
I'm going to figure out how to make time. I'm going to figure out how to make time for reading his word. I might have to give up some things. I might have to give up some great sacrifices. I might have to cut my TV time down. Yeah, I said it, folks. Lord requires some big sacrifices sometimes. <laughs> I, you might have to, you might have to go get rid of your video game system. I don't know. You, would the Lord ask us to do something like that? Well, he told that one rich young ruler to sell all he had and give to the poor. He just might ask you to give up your video games. Oh, man, this is hard stuff, folks. I know it. I know it. But let me tell you, God might ask you to do that. And you need to be willing to say, you know what? I'll do it. I'll follow him. I'll, I'll do his will. And you know what? If it's God's will for you to be happy playing video games, he'll he'll provide a video game for you. All right. Don't 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 worry. don't worry about that stuff. Nothing is more important than the will of God. Nothing is more important than the kingdom of God. I don't care. Listen, princess, you can go save, you know, have Mario save the princess. She's just going to get trapped by Bowser again. All right. Just I, trust me. I've saved the princess so many times as a kid and she keeps getting captured by Bowser. I don't even know why I waste my time anymore. And you know what? I'm not going to sacrifice the will of God for things like that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about the TV shows. Don't worry about the ball game. Alright? The outcome of the game is not going to be affected by whether or not you watch the game or not. Either way, it's still going to turn out the same. I understand it's entertaining, but you know what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't use that as an excuse. You're not too busy for God. Because notice too, they had fished all night long and caught nothing, did they? Nothing. All right, they were busy. But then, one time casting their net in in the will of God, and they caught more than they could ever catch in one night. Look at all that got done, all that was accomplished financially, physically, when they were in the will of God. They had a catch like no other. They had a fishing story like no other. I've heard some pretty good fishing stories before. All right, these guys had a fishing story like no one ever had. Why? It was in the will of God. That's why we got to seek that first. There's no excuses for not. So you're not too busy to serve God. You just need you get your priorities right. Notice also in verse 11, it says that when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And it came to pass when he was in a uh, or no, that's uh, Matthew chapter four. I keep getting I keep getting them mixed up. Which one I want to go to? Matthew chapter four, in verse twenty-one. Actually, it says, "And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them." Now wait, this isn't fair. He just asked James and John to abandon their father. Their father, who is probably elderly, their father that you know probably depended on his boys in this business to help keep things going, Jesus just at, just took his help away. He just destroyed this man's business. Well, no, he didn't, because did Zebedee follow Christ? And what does the Bible say? It says they left everything and followed Christ. What does that mean? They left their ships. They left all their nets, all their equipment, and they left that multitude of fish they caught. Who do you think got all the money for that? Zebedee. Guess what? Jesus took care of their father, didn't he? Jesus took care of him. I imagine after the haul he had that day, after the money he made that day, 
He was after getting a whole new ship, he was probably able to hire a few other guys and let them take over it. Jesus took care. Jesus took care of all those things before they forsook it. Any responsibilities they had at home, anything that needed to be taken care of, Jesus had just provided for them financially in a great way. He took care of them. Jesus Christ is going to take care of your needs. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Understand, when, Je- when the Bible says God shall supply all your need, He's not just talking to anybody there. When He, was ta- when he says that in Philippians, he was actually talking to a group of people who had sacrificed greatly financially for other people. People who had given out of their deep poverty. They had given to the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. And Paul saw that and Paul said, God's going to supply all your need. You cannot outgive God. You are not going to sacrifice anything for God and do without. He is going to pay you back. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Salvation is free. Okay? Salvation is free. There is zero payment that we make for our salvation. It is totally free. So what about all this work that we do after we're saved? Is that so we can keep our salvation? Nope. Because then it wouldn't be free, would it? It would be about a debt. We would be paying off a debt. When salvation is free, the work that you do for Christ after that, He pays you for it. He rewards you for it. There's going to judgment day is coming and we are going to receive rewards based on the works that we've done. Some of the things God pays for, he, he pays us right here on this earth with the blessings and things that we receive. Some we're not going to get it until we get to heaven. But either way, God takes care of those that are serving him. God, the God who commanded you to take care of your family The God who inspired Paul to write a man who does not provide for his own, especially they of his own house, has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The God who had Paul write that is not going to ask you to neglect your family and not take care of your family. He will not ask you to do that. You following him, it might sometimes seem like you're doing that, but he's going to take care of your needs. He's going to help you take care of your family. I will be able to take care of my family the best way possible by being in the will of God. I will be able to take care of my family financially better if I give towards the work of the Lord. If I'm not given to the work of the Lord, if I'm not given to missions like they were in Philippians chapter 4, if I'm not giving to those things, I don't have the promise of God supplying all my needs. But if I'm doing those things, I do have that promise. If I'm following Christ, He is going to take care of me. If I'm doing my own thing, I don't have those promises. I have no guarantee of that. And I don't know about you. I don't gamble at all. Okay? One, I'm not lucky. Okay? Two, do the math. You're probably going to end up broke. Okay? And also, I'm not a big stock market person. I'm not necessarily against it, but I'm not taking any chances of flushing my money down the toilet. I'm I'm too scared. I I work too hard for it. You know, there's not a lot of guarantee there. I like, I like security. And you know what? There is no security greater than being in the will of God. You are promised that God is going to take care of you. Those that you are responsible of, God will help you take care of them. So there's no excuses. You think, I got, I got too many things to take care of. I got family to take care of. God, that's not an excuse. We see here, Jesus took care of their responsibilities. He took care of their family. 
These guys, on the best day they ever had in their business was when they forsook it. So guess what? All those involved back at home with that business, they were fine. They were probably glad to see them go, hey, we don't have to split the money with these guys. <laughs> they were, I'm, I'm sure they were glad to see. It was, it, was a, it was a good thing for them financially. But then finally, another excuse people have is they think, I, I just don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith. Luke 5 and verse 5, after Jesus tells him to launch out, Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, the thy word, I will let down the net. Did Peter think anything was going to happen? No. Peter did not feel like this was going to work. Peter did not think this was going to work. Peter was a fisherman. Peter knew fishing. He knew when they're biting. He knew when they're not biting. You know, but at the same time, we, many times we think that faith is a feeling. Folks, faith is not a good feeling. That's not what it is. Faith is being obedient even when you don't feel like it. Peter didn't think it was going to do any good casting a net in. But guess what? He was obedient to Christ, wasn't he? He obeyed even when he didn't feel like it. And even though he didn't think anything was going to happen, something happened. Many times we act like whether or not something, our prayer is going to get answered, something's going to be accomplished it's on how we feel. And I just don't feel like anything's going to happen. Therefore, nothing's going to happen. You know what? Who cares about your feelings? Okay? I understand this is America and we're all about feelings and following your heart and all that stuff. But you know, we're Bible believers around here. We don't go off of feelings. We don't follow our heart because we know the Bible says our heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. What do we do? You just be obedient even when you don't feel like it. And that's what Peter did. And sure enough, it worked. And the truth is, it only takes a little faith to do great things. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 19, Jesus told them if they would just have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, they could move mountains. Just, just a little faith. Peter's little faith got him to walk on water for a little bit. That little bit of, that little bit of faith. It doesn't, you don't have to have a lot of faith. And people do, they just say all the time, I, I don't have faith. Well, you know what? That's not an excuse. You know what you need to do? You need to ask God to give you more faith. Say, Lord, like the one man who's had the lunatic son, say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Just, I know, Lord, you said I ought to go to church. I don't see how this is doing me any good. I heard that preacher preach a message. I didn't think it was that great. It didn't help me that much. His jokes were lame. You know, he stuttered through his preaching. Whatever. You know, he's got this problem. I don't. The people in that church are not that great. Lord, why? Fine. I don't feel like this is doing any good. But you know what? Just do it because he said to do it. And you know what? You'll find out that guess what? It does work. You are better off doing the will of God. You are. You are always going to be better off. Just trust him. There are no excuses. Peter did. He didn't have. He wasn't feeling it, but he had just enough faith to do what Jesus said to do, and that was that was all it took. You know what? Christ still wants followers today. Jesus didn't lay out a detailed plan of all the disciples would go through. Because think about this. Now the Bible doesn't record this. The Bible only records the death of James. James was martyred. Okay, James. The one that we read about here in the story, he was martyred. He was put to death for Christ. According to history, all of the disciples were martyred with the exception of John. All of them died. Now think about this. Them, when Jesus, when he said, follow me, he knows everything that's going to happen. 
In fact, he even knows that you know what? These guys following me is going to eventually lead to their death. But did Jesus tell them that right there? Did he, Jesus say, Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And oh, by the way, you're going to die. You're going to go in prison. You're going to, I mean, you're going to face all these... Did Jesus say all that to him? No, he didn't. he didn't tell him all that. And whenever you follow Christ, He's not going to tell you everything that you're going to go through and where that path, all the things that path is going to take you through. But one thing, though, we do know is every one of these disciples, when you read the stories about how they died, it was a glorious death. These guys, when they died... They died willingly. They were ready to go. They were ready to lay down their life for Christ. They wanted to do it. They wanted, they, these guys wanted to serve God. They wanted to do the will of God. Back then, they would have been like, nope, forget it. If this is going to lead to death, I'm out. But Jesus, he knows, he knew better. He knew that, hey, if these guys follow me, yeah, it's going to lead there, but boy, wait till they see the rewards they're going to get in heaven. And not only that, these guys, they're going to grow so much. When those times come, they're not going to care. They're going to be ready. They're going to be ready. And I'm here today to tell you that following Christ, the thought of it sometimes can kind of be scary. There's a lot of unknown. You can make up a lot of excuses, but I promise you, follow Christ. Jesus is going to get rid of those excuses. You're going to find out, you know, that was no excuse. That was no reason. I thought I had this reason. I thought I could never be used of God because of this or that in my life. But you know what? Jesus is going to prove you so wrong. It's not even funny. You might think He can't use me. Just follow Him and just wait and see what He does. You might think, I could never do this. I could never do that. Follow Him and you will be surprised at the changes that He makes in your life and how He will change the desires. The Bible says, Delight thyself also in the Lord and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And you know, the truth is you think, oh really? Well, my heart wants a million dollars. Is that what you're saying the Lord's going to give me? No, your heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your, you, your heart has deceived you into thinking you want a million dollars, but Jesus knows what it is your heart really wants. And you'll get that following Him. Might not be the million dollars, but it will be what you're really looking for. Most of us aren't wise enough and smart enough to realize what it is we really want, but He knows the Holy Spirit, when we pray, He helps our prayers because we don't even know what we're supposed to pray for. But He helps us in our prayers. And God answers our prayers. We think, well, no, I didn't get what I asked for. No, but you got what you wanted. You might not realize it just yet, but you will one of these days. I've prayed for plenty of things that God said no to. And years later, I said, Lord, thank you for not answering that prayer. And so just follow, follow Christ. There's no excuses not to. You might think you have excuses. I promise he'll take those away. And so with that, let's go ahead and stand together.